Cedric Mullins will join us, and Masson's known for a bunch of all-stars in so many ways, but Rakubako, who at least as far as his workout proficiency goes, takes the cake. He's the all-star in that category. He is on the program to talk about the fast-approaching trade deadline, but this is a couple of Orioles broadcasters after the all-star break. Jeff, I haven't shaven in a few weeks, it feels like, and I know I'm looking more tan than usual, but uh, Orioles baseball is back off to a pretty good start, taking a weekend set against Kansas City, but we still have to look back at what happened over the All-Star break. And in many ways, Trey Mancini stole the entire experience in Colorado. First of all, have you become a beach bum? I think so. I'm back to reality now. I'm back. But yes, I feel that way. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, to, glad to know that you're going to be back in a couple of days. Um, I will say about Trey Mancini. I think all of us woke up our neighbors and probably frightened some of them with how much we were probably screaming and yelling, watching Trey Mancini and the, the home run derby. And that's very different than your typical batting practice. If I McDonald made this point, you know, you typically used to go into the cage and getting six or seven swings at a time and that's it. But when you're going through these long time rounds where it just becomes hit as many home runs as you can, as quickly as you can, there's nothing that really prepares you for that. And, so for Mancini to, to not only do it, but there's so many people watching him, so many people rooting for him. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure there just because he wants to perform well, especially after what he went through the previous year. And man, did he deliver. It was a lot of fun to watch him. You know, everybody knows that Pete Alonso is pretty good at winning home run derbies, but I thought the overall story for Trey, the way he performed, having Chuck Bristano there, who did an excellent job of being able to throw him good batting practice and put pitches in the right spot where he could drive him out of the ballpark. Um, it was, it was cool to see and congratulations to Trey for a great showing. And having Cedric Mullins there, how big of a help was that? We'll talk to Cedric about that experience from his vantage point coming up, but a couple of things. One is I feel the uh, home run derby has had a rebirth in many ways. It definitely hit a lull for several years, but the new format is electric. It really has you on the edge of your seat when you're looking at the clock and the competition, the one-on-one matchups, it has that kind of classic tournament feel to it. And it's really exciting. In the beginning, Trey got off to a kind of a slow start. And at that point, I'm just like, all right, Trey, I know you can do this. And you become such a fan of that moment. Just hit a couple and, and it's so great you're back and you're participating. But then he got rolling and then you're on your, your, the edge of your seat, just rooting for him to advance and advance. And he did it. And it was just an amazing performance by Trey. Uh, huge viewership on television, obviously a full house at Coors Field, just an awesome accomplishment on, on so many ways. And, and that kind of stole the show. I, obviously we're very biased in this way, but I thought the entire weekend or the entire uh, three day experience was really about Trey and his performance overall. Orioles do draft also uh, throughout those three days, including Sunday, they get the outfielder from Sam Houston state, Colton Cowser and congratulations to the Orioles and their first two picks. Two really prolific college hitters, Jeff. The Orioles not only draft those, they sign them in days. So they were ready to rock and roll. And I, I guess I expect to see them in, in minor league uniforms sooner rather than later at this point. Yeah, I think onboarding is a little more challenging this year because you don't have a couple of the minor league levels that you used to. Um, so I think these are two guys that 
you know, will be pushed. I mean, you, you saw Colton Cowser have a great year at, at Sam Houston State. He was a Southland player of the year. And th- there was a lot to like about him. You know, he can hit for average. He can hit for some power. And I thought the other thing that was cool about him that Mike Elias pointed out is he doesn't strike out a lot. And in this day and age, and Cedric Mullins, who we're going to talk to, really embodies this well, having a short, quick, compact swing now is more important than ever just because of how much velocity you are going to see, how much spin you're going to be able to see. So being able to get to the baseball quickly, make good contact, hit for some power, not strike out a lot. Those are those are some skills that you love to see. And let's face it, these are two guys who can move quickly. Uh, the Orioles aren't hiding from this. They like college hitters and they like college players, even in their post-draft uh, signing period of free agents. Uh, they went after established college players. And it, I, I guess you could say less risk, which is nothing to shy away from, but I think they just feel it's more predictable. And I think that's a fair strategy, and they're not the only ones who employ it. There's always a level of risk with the draft. It doesn't matter who you pick. It can be a college player that you think is going to do great, and then it doesn't work out. I mean, you know, Kumar Rocker ended up dropping in the draft to the Mets, and um, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of that had to do over signing bonus and things like that, and also after the, the kind of the year that he had. But you know, taking a high school guy, there, there's a lot of risk to that. And you can nail the, the right one, and they can get through your system really quickly. But the best way to go, and the Orioles have done this, and a lot of teams have, is you stick with the college guy. I mean, the Pirates wanted something that was a sure thing. That's why they picked Henry Davis, number one. I think we were all pretty surprised when that happened because I think that that might have been somebody that the, the Orioles, if he was still there, um, would have had a lot of interest in. But you know, Colton Kowser had a great year. Uh, it's exciting to see them take another outfielder who can move around and who gives you some flexibility. And hopefully he'll be uh, at Camden Yards sooner rather than later. And, and by taking somebody with his profile, I think that's a, a legitimate and uh, you know potential hope. And maybe one day he'll be tr- patrolling the outfield at Camden Yards next to Cedric Mullins, who's our guest today on Inside the Yard. All the best Oriole ticket deals in one place, including single game tickets, ticket packs, special offers, and more. We've got you covered at the Orioles Ticket Marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals, so check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets to purchase. And the Orioles all-star himself, Cedric Mullins, is with us right now, the starting center fielder for the American League in the all-star game. And Cedric, first of all, it's been a few days now. Has that set in that you started in center field for the American League in an all-star game? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was an amazing experience. Uh, it was great to be able to share it with my family. And, you know, it's just a matter of coming back and uh, working on having a strong second half. Who is the first person that you told when you found out that you were starting the all-star game? So the first person I called was my mom. She didn't answer. And then I called my dad and they were both at the same place. So I was able to tell both of them at the same time. I have to ask Cedric, you fly to Denver, then you from Baltimore, you have a few days there, which I know was a lot going on and you start in center field for the American league. Then you get like a day off and you're back at it. Of course you get a base hit your first at bat in Kansas city for the Orioles. Now you're in St. Petersburg, Florida. By the time this, podcast drops you'll be back in baltimore i believe 
the whirlwind itself, are you tired at any point? Do you say, I am tired? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> my body's been thrown all out of shape, but, you know, once the game starts is when I'm able to kind of lock it in. So I just kind of save, save all of my efforts for those moments and just uh, try to continue to stay hydrated and rest up as much as possible until it catches up. Who is somebody that when you got to the All-Star game that maybe you wanted to spend some time with and talk to and maybe talk the game with? Um, that you hadn't really gotten to speak with or spend any time with before? Uh, so one of the guys that I talked to a good good amount, our playing styles, somewhat sim- similar was Merrifield. Uh, just, you know, he's he's leading the league in stolen bases, just continuing to get an idea of his approach when he's out there and, you know, just always trying to get some, uh, get some golden nuggets from conversations. And, you know, he's one of the guys I, you know, enjoy watching play. And, you know, we had a great conversation out there. Cedric, you came up in 2018, and you then were kind of up and down with the short season last year, and also last year you're only playing the Eastern Divisions. Are you going around the clubhouse at the All-Star Game introducing yourself? Hey, I'm Cedric Mullins. How does that work? Yeah, I'm, I'm walking around introducing myself to everybody. Of course, guys are like, oh, yeah, we know who you are. And, you know, that's not the point. It's a matter of me meeting you for the first time and, you know, being being official with it and, you know, just going from there, of course, I know who they are as well. But, you know, there were guys who uh, came to me who were introducing themselves. And I'm just like, come on now. Like, <laughs> I clearly know who you are. But, you know, it's it's it's, um, it's awesome to get to know those guys a little bit and, you know, go back at it after the All-Star game. Sarek, what's the level of pride for you when you found out that among the players, you got the, the top votes among the outfitters? How much pride do you take in that, that the rest of your peers – view you as somebody who is definitely all-star worthy and somebody who should be starting the all-star game. Uh, it was, it was awesome. When, uh, when the announcement first came out, uh, Skip had uh, mentioned that part as well. And, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, wow, like that's, that's pretty cool because all I ever knew about was the the fan vote and, you know, how that was going and how crazy that, that process is. And, you know, when I heard that, uh, you know, guys and my peers had you know voted for me to you know take take one of the spots i was like you know that that just kind of shows that uh game was recognizing game and that i was actually producing out, out there on the field i saw pictures of you with your family on sort of the uh all-star festivities runway and walkway or whatever you want to call it uh how do they enjoy the experience uh i i think they uh it they were very excited. I think they <laughs> had a lot of nerves <laughs> going into some of the events, but uh, talking to them afterwards, they were like, Oh, that was, that was awesome. Like we really appreciate, you know, you being able to get us out there. And, you know, I, I truly enjoyed being with them. It was, it was fun, especially, you know, if, um, you know, had I not made it, I probably would have been going home anyway to spend some time with them. So it was, it was awesome to bring them out there with me. Have you spent any time, talking with your family about, Hey, you know, this is where I was two years ago. And remember this is, if you go back in time, I came up through junior college, went to Campbell. It's been such a long winding road for you to get to this point. Do you ever spend time with your family kind of going back in time and looking at where you used to be and now making, helping crystallize where you are and just how, how long of a journey it's been, but probably how fulfilling of one it's been too. Um, I don't think we've talked about it 
as much. I know, you know, I think simply because that they were along with me during that whole journey. So it was just them experiencing it with me and just knowing the path that I took, you know, it was just a matter of just continuing to press forward. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing to have my story out there and a lot of other people are knowing just how, how much work I and dedication I had towards game of baseball and, you know, so the, the results are showing. Now, all of us were on the edge of our seat watching Trey in the home run derby, Cedric. Were, you were obviously out and about a major player in it, helping Trey along uh, in different moments. But were, was it as intense from your vantage point? I mean, the new format kind of lends itself to that sort of intensity, that one-on-one matchup and the clock and everything else. But were you a fan in that moment for your teammate? Oh, 100%. Uh, it was funny talking to him before the uh, before the derby had started. We still didn't really know the order in which guys were going to be going. And then when he told me, hey, I'm, I'm first up, I was like, like first, first, first. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be the first one cracking the bat. I was like, oh, Jesus. So <laughs> trying to keep him as calm as possible, I was like, well, I'm relaxed because I've seen you take BP and I know the potential that you have on a baseball field just trying to put him out the park and after his first minute or so, and he called the early timeout, I was like, oh, goodness, because he was kind of, you know, he was putting good swings on it. They just weren't finding their way out. And I was able to luckily calm him down just a bit, help him catch his breath. And, you know, he had a very strong showing. I was going to ask you, what did you say to him when he came over to you after that first round? He, he kind of stalled there and took the timeout. Yeah, so if you look at the video, I had to, like, hustle out there because the, uh, the water girl they had in place was – booking it and I said so hold up hold up I got this and, you know I just said don't even talk just catch your breath I was like you look you're looking good you know the only question I asked him was how is he feeling he was like I'm feeling really good I was like okay so catch your breath your pace looks really nice looks like you're swinging at good pitches just continue to do what you're doing the pressure's mm-hmm. off now like you've gotten your swings and now it's just batting practice Cedric we know how prolific you can hit it in, in batting practice, you obviously you're pacing for like a 25 home run season, maybe more. Would you ever want to participate in a home run derby? Absolutely not. <laughs> After being able to witness <laughs> the, I guess the, what, what they go through in their body. And it might've been just the thin air played a little part, but those guys look exhausted coming out of that. And I was like, I, I don't think I want to experience that. That looked pretty rough. And if, I, if I'm not hitting them out every single time, I can tell I'm going to get destroyed. <laughs> I mean, how tough is that? Because, like, you guys take batting practice, and what are you used to taking, like, five, six swings at a time and then getting out? I mean, that must be completely jarring to your system when he's getting in there and it's just pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch, and then it's like hit home run, hit home run, hit home run. Yeah, the mindset's completely different. BP, lock it in for five swings, rotate with three other guys come back in and lock it in for another five swings. If you happen to hit a home run, good swing, you know, you're moving from there, but just, just to have a three minute continuation with one break. And then you have like another 30 second break for the bonus round. It's, that's, that's a lot of swings. How do you think Ryan Mountcastle could do one day in a home run derby? I think Mountcastle would do really well in a home run derby. Honestly. Yeah. That was my inkling. Yeah. Yeah. He might be able to watch a future could, derbies. Yeah, he, I think he could take one, take one home. Cedric, you know, you have a lot of power in your swing, but 
have you, I mean, have you always had that? Like, have you always been somebody, I mean, you talk about Austin Hayes mentioned it, the minor leagues and parking lots said, and, and things like that. But when you were in college, in high school, did you have power and were you hitting balls over the fence consistently? I always had some pop consistently, not necessarily. I, I was more of just the, the strong gap to gap guy. And uh, I didn't really hit my power surge in general until my first full year of pro ball. And that was the first time I actually put up double digit home runs. And then after that, I was more consistently around the, the 10 to 15 range. And, you know, this year, this being the most I've hit in a single year, and it's only half the season. I was like, wow, like, you know, just putting, putting a lot of really good swings together and, you know, doing that, just focusing on hitting the ball hard. They're going to find their way out. And that's been my mindset just continuing to hit line drives and, you know, if you if you hit one just right, it'll find its way over the fence. Cedric, you have to remind me of this. I remember several springs ago, and I believe it was your first spring getting any Grapefruit League action. You hit home run, I believe it was off, was it Kimbrell? Who'd you hit it off of in spring training? And it was like the other way, it was the bomb. Uh, and I'm like, wow, this young man has some, some power. Uh, remind me of that moment. I was telling this story on the radio the other day during a broadcast. Yeah, so Trey Man got the pinch hit, and um, it was against Craig Kimball. And I was on deck, you know, didn't really know who I was facing yet. And then kind of on my way, I saw him finally take his stance. I was like, oh, I'm about to face Kimball. So I, the entire bat, I'm like, okay, I got to be short to the ball, short to the ball. And I just remember, like, I took one pitch, and it was a little low and in. And I was like, okay, I think I got my timing down on it. You know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a good swing off if he comes back with another fastball. Sure enough, fastball like out of third, if not just black. And I was able to you know, let it get deep, put a good swing on it, stay through it, and you know, the rest is history. Is it because your swing is so short that it allows you to access your power better? Is it that? Is it how you use your legs? I mean, what do you think is the the main source of your power within your swing? Yeah, I think for um, a lot of power guys, the the quickness of their bat generates a little more power than uh, I'd say the heaviness of it in general. So, you know, when you watch power hitters like Barry Bonds who, who chucked up on the barrel for it to be 32 inches, like the quickness in which he was able to get his swing through the zone and barrel the ball is what generated the power for him. And it's really no different for – for me, like it's it's just a matter of, like we're told two totally different sized guys, so I'm I'm not gonna find as many, but it's it's a matter of being quick to the ball to to barrel it, and then you'll get the best results out of that. All right, Cedric, let's get into our second fun five baseball questions. You knocked it out of the park the first time with our first five, but let's get to it. The last series you binge watched. <sighs> Last series I binged watched. I've been I've been a little all over the place lately. <laughs> but uh recently I've been re-watching Game of Thrones. Rewatching Game of Thrones. And I'm probably gonna stop after season seven because season two was just season eight was terrible. But uh <laughs> I'll probably get up to that point and just have the same questions I had last time in hopes that one day they correct whatever that was that they decided to finish that with. Number two, and this might be an issue for you moving forward. Maybe it is one now. 
Road alias, uh, what would it be? And or maybe you already have one. I do not have one. Um, hmm. I've never thought about it. I'm looking around the room now to see if I can kind of <laughs> make one up <laughs> as we're talking. Um, you might need one soon, so you can take the time and think about this. Yeah, there is a chance that I could go by my first name and people wouldn't even notice. It'd be just voice. Just leave it at that. <laughs> what do you eat before and after games? Uh, before games, I usually have some form of fruit, like regardless of what it is. I know I was eating a lot of plums out in Kansas City, just getting getting some natural nutrition in. And then after games, I like to, if they have the option, I usually eat fish, you know, fish with rice and some sort of green. Um, drip a little hot sauce on the fish. Hopefully it's not dry, so I don't need too much. But uh, that's usually where I, where I sit. And then on occasion, you know, I'll have a burger, maybe a steak. You know, it just depends. I like fish, though. Jeff, we should be taking notes on this. We all need to be doing what Cedric Mullins is doing with everything he does in life right now. What would your first grade teacher say about you, Cedric? My first grade teacher. Oh, man. Do I even remember exactly who that was? I feel like she would say that she was proud of me. Um, and continue to pick up a book on the occasion. That'd probably be one thing she said. And they just continue to, to stay humble and learn from others. What would you be doing if you were not playing baseball? Uh, so I've always been a math guy, and I feel like I'd be uh, pursuing some sort of engineering degree. Um, not necessarily sure of the specifics, but I've also been one interested in business. And so I, you know, I, I might pick two different roads with that, but, you know, it's, it's uh, something that I did have an interest in um, in terms of just the education side. Uh, you just never know. I might go back into it um, at some point, finish my degree and go from there as well. Well, hopefully it's not anytime too soon as far as uh, getting in the way of your baseball right now. We've had so much joy watching you play, Cedric, and congratulations on, on the season so far, the all-star selection and starting, and we can't wait to watch your career develop from this point forward. It's been a joy. I appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. experience in those game with the convenience and privacy of your very own suite a variety of affordable single game suites throughout the ballpark are available enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate controlled interior seating a private restroom and comfortable outside seating visit orioles.com suites for more information well mass and sports rock kabako is with us right now and rock we're into the second half the draft is coming gone and now we're just days away from the trade deadline the orioles have been very active in recent years in that department, particularly last year in the shortened season, a lot of moving parts this year, though, you look at it and, you know, what, what do you anticipate at this point? Yeah, I think this may more closely resemble, was it 19 with Andrew Kashner where, you know, there's one deal made and you're waiting and waiting. And, and, you know, we've had that happen in a, in a few uh, trade deadlines where you're like, man, I got all stressed out and, and would have been on alert for, you know, days and days. And that's all it, you know, one or none. Uh, they just don't, they don't have many options now. There aren't a lot of, of potential. I don't think there are any big moves out there. And even the smaller ones, a lot of them have gone away because let's say injuries. First of all, it's Freddie Galvis, uh, Michael Franco, uh, 
I mean, what you know, you're not going to get anything back now. And Franco wasn't playing that well anyway. And they're both hurt. Uh, you know, Matt Harvey, I mean, certainly looked really good in his last start, but is that enough to suddenly make him a trade chip again? Does that erase everything else that happened in the first half? Probably not. So I don't know what, what you could possibly get back there unless you're just looking to, hey, maybe we can get a Dominican Summer League kid, <laughs> you know, because I know that uh, Michael Ice likes to, to stock up that, uh, the bottom rung of the, the system, but there really isn't that much, you know, Paul Fry's name's going to come up. Tanner Scott's name's going to come up. These guys are still under team control for a while and bring varying skills. Obviously Scott's want the more intriguing arm with that plus plus fastball and slider, but he has the occasional lapses in control, but those would be those two guys. And otherwise I just, I don't know. I don't see Trey Mancini going anywhere. And that's a really tricky one. Anyway, it makes sense in some ways from a business standpoint, obviously, He's got a race coming up last year of arbitration eligibility. He's going to be over 5 million. That's not really what you want on the books for a rebuilding club. That's been really cutting payroll, but he's also, you know, this, the, the clubhouse leader, the face of this franchise and one of the most inspirational stories imaginable. And it's so tricky to move a guy like that. So I just don't see it happening. And John means, and I think Elias alluded to that earlier. That's a guy that you really want to, put at the top of your rotation and then build around. He's, he's, he's that piece moving forward, drafted, developed. So I don't see them moving him unless they're overwhelmed by an offer. I mean, everybody's potentially on the table. The only other one I'd have to think about is Anthony Santander because he was a guy that was, you know, drawing a lot of interest in the offseason, spring training. Scouts were doing their homework on him, but he's had a really down year and he still hasn't recovered from that sprained ankle that he suffered in Miami. So you know, his value's down, you'd be selling low there. So that's why I just don't, I don't expect it to be very busy. I don't think you're going to have a flurry of moves. You know, I don't think it's going to look like what it did last year with the bullpen pieces that were moved. And basically for quite a big stretch there, I think beginning with maybe Richard Blyer and, and then other guys afterward, I just think it's going to be pretty, pretty low key. I just don't think they have much of a choice except for it to be low key. Tanner Scott, as we're taping this, has been really good over his last nine or 10 appearances. And we've started to see, you know, the stuff, throwing more strikes, had a couple of outings where he's going an inning plus. And so that's been really good to see. He's got electric stuff. We all know what he's capable of doing. If the Orioles are going to move him, how how wooed do they have to be by a, an offer from another team? Yeah, I would think, you know, and it could be similar to what, we saw with some of the moves that were made with like Miguel Castro, Michael Gibbons. But if you can get back a, a starting pitcher that you think can move quickly through the system, maybe from the upper levels of a farm system and somebody that could potentially be plugged in your rotation, if there's an intriguing position player, I mean, these are all possibilities and you have to just weigh it because I've had people say this. It's like, look, I get it's a rebuild. That doesn't mean you have to trade every good player you have during it. Like Cedric Mullins, people are like, oh my God, are they going to trade Cedric? No, they're not going to trade Cedric Mullins. And it's okay to hold on to some of these good players. And especially again, a guy that's under team control for a few more years now. And, and somebody that's, that can really help you in the bullpen. He can help this club. He doesn't have to be moved. But if somebody wants to come along and make an offer similar to what they were able to get, for Castro, for Givens, and obviously you have to consider it. And, and then you just keep your fingers crossed that, I mean, I know a lot of GMs say, look, you want the trade to work for both teams. That way that club's willing to deal with you again. Like I'm surprised the Mariners would ever take a call from the Orioles. <laughs> you really would like it to be more balanced. But at the same time, you would just hate to see Tanner really put it all together, become like this dominant, you know, Andrew Miller type setup or closer. And you're like, wow, we had this guy. But again, it depends on the offer. What a team's willing to give up, 
it's not like the Orioles haven't been very patient with him and they've ridden out all those lapses where he does suddenly just lose control. He, he's, he averages way too many walks, but the stuff is so good. And we've seen him where he comes in and he's just dominant and you hate to give up on an arm like that. So it would have to be a good offer, but that doesn't mean there isn't one out there. And if there is, I think you act on it. You've suffered through so many rough times with Tanner and really it was an organizational thing to, to draft him in what the sixth round and start him in the minor leagues, figure out all these different ways to get him to this point. And then to move him now, it's just like, what was the point of all this? But uh, we'll see what they do. To me, the Mancini one's tricky, as you've mentioned. But let's say, and I think this is the likely outcome, they don't move him now. You get to the offseason, and I think at that point, you're really left with the choice of either trading him then or do you even entertain the idea of extending Mancini at that point? He's made it quite clear he wants to be here. The story's incredible. He's the face of the franchise, another draft and develop guy by the club. Uh, is that a possibility at this juncture of it in this, you know, rebuild? I mean, it's one of the more fascinating questions and decisions they have to make. Cause you're right. If you go into the off season with them and you've got that one more arbitration year and he's going to be a free agent. First of all, the value then drops a little bit. He becomes more of a rental. So you have to consider that if you don't move him now, you're going to get the same kind of, of offers for him in the off season, or if you're waiting till next year's deadline uh, and are they willing? And I don't know this. I don't know if they're willing to spend that kind of money, what it takes to extend him. I know as of a couple of years ago, that was a ridiculous thought. It's like, you don't offer those kind of contracts and extend people during a teardown and a rebuild. But do you look at him as, all right, here's the one guy that you do make that commitment to. You're not doing it with anybody else. Do you do it with the Trey Mancini? And for all the reasons we've listed with him, and it's not just the sentimental part. He's a very good hitter. He's an important guy that put in, in the heart of the order. And do you do that? And, you know, other than the deferred money, Chris Davis is going to be coming off the books. You could, you know, rationalize as, hey, any money that we're, you know, losing from Chris Davis, we can funnel more toward Mancini and kind of build around him. I just don't know whether they're willing to spend that kind of money. I mean, I know it's probably uncomfortable to go, be going over $5 million for a player uh, and where you're still in this stage where you may not be ready to contend even next year. So you'd have to really be looking down the road with him and say, look, it's worth making that investment. Maybe he does take more of a, quote, hometown discount. Then again, he's probably more valuable to the Orioles than he is to some other teams. It's really tricky. Uh, everything with Trey Mancini is tricky. Everything with him, the trading to whether you actually offer the extension. I certainly can see the logic on both sides. I feel like I'm straddling the fence here and I always am hesitant to spend other people's money. I'm hesitant to spend my own money. Anybody knows me, but uh, it, it's a tough call there, but I could certainly see why even a club and a rebuild would have to at least consider because of everything Trey brings, you know, consider at least, okay, what kind of maybe team friendly extension of such a thing even exists in a rebuild, can we work out with him? And he really does want to stay, and I give credit for that. I know it's tough for a lot of guys to leave the team that draft and developed the only team you know. But, you know, he could go to a contender. He has a chance to win somewhere else. So if this team's not set up to win even next year, let's say, I mean, you know, these are prime years of his career that are being spent on a, a last-place team. But he really legitimately does want to stay. It's not just lip service. He's really hoping they can work something out. I know, Brock, that analytics can't measure hope and fan you know interest in trying to keep people engaged but if they if they don't do a long-term extension with mancini do they have to do one with somebody like does could it be john means could it be cedric mullins trying to lock somebody up on maybe something that is a little bit more team friendly that's a little bit longer term where people can say all right here's somebody that 
we know when things turn the corner, they're going to be there and they're going to hopefully be a part of the next world champion Orioles team. Yeah, I could see the logic there. And especially I always go back to like what the Indians did many years ago, where they offered some long-term deals back in the Kenny Lofton, Albert Bell, Carlos Baerga days and Jim Tomey, where they're young players. You're like, look, let's lock them up now. And other teams have done it. We've seen it more recently where it's the Braves. Right, exactly. Like, let's do it now. And of course you're rolling the dice that this player is going to be worth it. But there is a savings involved if, if, if the agent's willing to do something like that, lock up the guy now. And I could see where you might want to do that. But again, this is also coming back to, does a rebuilding club want to spend that kind of money? It's so one thing if you're a contender and you have a reputation, a history of spending, and you want to do that with one of your guys in advance. So let's say like the Braves, but a team that's still going through these painful stages of the rebuild and the money that they're shaving off the payroll they're funneling in other directions, which they've been doing in the analytic department and international market. So I'd like to think that maybe they've now got those departments beefed up. Maybe they don't need to funnel as much money in those directions. But, but you know, team that's been doing that, do they want to spend the money on anybody at this point in an extension? But I certainly see where that makes sense as well. So you don't have the same problem arise farther down the road. And that could be an Austin Hayes. It can be a Mullins. It can be a Means. Uh, even though these guys aren't approaching free agency, you still might want to go ahead and do that now, buy out some arbitration years, whatever. I also see the logic there, but again, I, we come right back to, I don't know what they're willing to spend right now at this point, but it certainly makes sense to me. Rock, we'll end on this. As far as prospects getting called up in the second half, who do you anticipate, if any? I mean, some starting pitchers, if they're actually performing well, and, and I don't know if you're talking about debuts or just guys that even come back, like Zach Lowther and Dean Kramer and Alexander Wells. I would, you know, Wells was, you know, on the taxi squad recently. And I would think that he's a guy that if he continues to pitch the way he has this month, you got to bring him back. Uh, it's going to have to be a big turnaround for Lowther and Kramer because they're really scuffling right now. I don't know if they would jump Kyle Bradish and Kevin Smith another level. They potentially could later in the summer and say, let's go ahead and let them get their feet wet. I still don't think we see Ali Rutschman. You know, they just announced another wave of minor league promotions and Rutschman was not on that list. And I scanned it real quick. I thought maybe it's going to be the very last one. He's still in Bowie. At some point he's going to be in AAA. I don't know if he jumps up. Usniel Diaz at some point was supposed to be here this summer. I wrote it. You probably have said it. And yet He's injured a game with turf toe and he's not hitting at all. He's hitting below 200. He's not getting on base. He's not slugging. So I don't know now if we see him, if it's going to be another wasted year, if he gets hot, he comes up, uh, you know, but right now I don't see there, there being a lot of guys that are, that are beating down the door. Like you would hope uh, some guys, I think they were counting on that they could filter in like they were doing last summer. Those guys right now don't seem to be ready. Well, uh, you know, I don't think, but the Hall's hurt, but also I don't think if they're going to make that jump with him, I don't know if they do it with Grayson Rodriguez because he was in class A to start the year. I think it's too soon for those guys. So I think right now they're just hoping just to have Lowther and Kramer and Wells, at least where they're pressing for, for promotions. And then we'll, we'll see from there. Rock Kubako, massive Rock. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. The Junior Orioles Dugout Club is now Kids Cheer Free Plus, presented by Baltimore-area Chick-fil-A restaurants. It's the all-new Orioles Kids Club for fans 14 and under. 
For just $30, each club membership includes a limited edition cap, face mask, lanyard, and membership card. Plus, all members receive a ticket voucher for four free tickets to any select classic or value game. Purchase your membership now at Orioles.com slash kids free plus. All right. That was a fun show. Rockabaco, thank you. Also, Cedric Mullins. That was amazing. And for Cedric Mullins right now, Jeff, he's just kind of like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going and going and going. Going and going and going. And I'm sure he's ready for a break. I mean, he he was at the All-Star game and he had a lot of fun up there. But yeah, he's been running the gauntlet going from Baltimore after the Orioles finished up their series against the White Sox to Denver for a couple of days for the All-Star break and then he went to Kansas City and now he's in St. Petersburg as we're taping this so he continues to provide a spark to this ball club and I'm, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in the second half because that first half was was awesome to watch and every day you and I would go to the ballpark uh, especially you know you think about some of those series that the Orioles had in in June I felt like I was coming to the ballpark every day and always wondering what is Cedric Mullins going to do today and when you can think that that makes your job a lot more fun. Well, the Orioles have only had three players since 2010 have an OPS for the season over 900. And it was Luke Scott in 2010 and then Chris Davis in 13 and 15. And that's what Cedric's chasing right now in 21. And I asked our friends at Stats Inc. before the All-Star break, where does Cedric rank as far as total bases goes? And I mentioned this in a radio broadcast at the end of the first half of the season. He started entering some pretty big name competition. So He's out there right now chasing truly, and I'll say this lightly, you know, one of the 15, 20, 25 best offensive seasons in club history. When you look at total bases, OPS in the last 15, 20 years, things like that. And it's pretty special company. He's around right now. He's passed a, a couple of Powell's and Robinson's on his way up that list. So he's had an extraordinary half. And, and I think you look at what Mike Elias said before the break, that he is becoming the face of the franchise. And someone like Mike Elias, who's, always has the big picture in mind. I don't think he says that kind of thing lightly. No, he definitely doesn't. I, I think he's pretty conservative with, with when he's throwing stuff out there, but that's that's a big statement. And I think all you just got to hope is that Cedric Mullins is like, I mean, that's really flattering when you hear something like that, but you just don't want to let it creep into your subconscious. You don't want to let it affect it the way that you play. And if he continues to produce and continues to do what he's doing and making adjustments and remember you know, this is a guy that is going to continue to face tough pitching. The league is going to pitch him tougher. They're going to make adjustments to him. It's going to continue to be on Mullins to, to make adjustments right back. And if he does that, I don't see why he can't do what, what he's doing at the plate. And defensively, we all know he's one of the best in the game. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, next week on the show, Jonathan Mayo from MLBPipeline.com will join us. We'll get a full recap on the Orioles draft, and we'll take a bigger look at their farm system as we head towards the back half of 2021. The show after that, the incomparable Joe Angel will join us days before he's inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame. So really exciting few shows coming up. And thank you so much for being with us on this edition of Inside the Yard. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. We'll see you and talk to you, as always, Inside the Yard. <laughs>